Hey, everybody. I am here with Neil and Richard from RMC. How are you guys? We're great, Bob. Thanks so much for having us. Um, I must point out before we start, you're on a great big screen above us, like God lording over us looking <laughs> down. So if we're looking up in an odd way, that's why. <laughs> oh, man. So many people usually say I look thinner in person. And that now I'm just like, really am that fat looming, you know, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I'll do some sit-ups for the next one. <laughs> So um, I have been following your work for a while and uh, I've been, you know, our paths just keep missing each other. I've been wanting to do this for a while and uh, I know we've talked a bunch of times, but now with the cave opening up, um, I, you know, I really wanted to bug you to talk about all of the stuff, all of your work, but the cave, especially just because it represents a lot of awesomeness and a lot of stuff that I've been a part of too, that I tried to do here in the States, but you know, with the entire world shutting down, I'm sure. very glad that you were able to keep keep doing this and, and, you know, keep it going. So I guess as a very short intro for the very unlikely chance people might not know who you are, would you just give a quick, you know, what RMC is and what The Cave is? Sure. So um, RMC The Cave is a YouTube channel, which I've been running full time now. So the channel has been around for about five years uh, doing content proper, full time for about three years now, I think. Um, it's based in a mill in an area called the Cotswolds in the southwest of England, a beautiful part of England. Uh, Richard, who sat with me uh, here, is the mill owner who very kindly approached me to help us find this space. Um, how long ago was that now, Richard? Was that a little over a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, about a year ago, just over. Yeah. About a year ago, we moved into this space, which was an empty space. And that's when the YouTube channel really evolved from just being a YouTube channel to being um a, a retro destination if you like we've turned this whole place into an exhibition where we can display all of the machines that are fixed on the channel um, all of the things we review and cover people can come and actually use them here now so um, it's been a really nice experience to open that up and, and let people get hands on so we are both a youtube channel and a museum if you like yeah <laughs> i love it you know the uh, the creator of exodus just said uh, in an interview with Dan Mons, that he pushes for preservation via playability. Mm -hmm. And I love that saying, I'm going to steal it and use it all the time because while yes, you know, this, a lot of the work I do is archiving the information around it. And I do feel like that's important, but unless somebody could actually use these things, it's a waste. So the fact that there is a place popping up and hopefully more around the world like you that might follow your lead that people could go in and experience these things for real because, you know, a good game is a good game, right? If you have something through DOSBox on your modern PC and it's, you know, you enjoy it, it's a win, but it's not the same experience. And some people don't care and that's a hundred percent okay. But for the people that do care, I just love to see different ways to experience this stuff and in person with your own eyes and your own hands are really the only way to truly get a sense of all of the weirdness and even the other day, I was using, uh, you know, I watched a VHS tape and I had forgotten how loud gear driven VHS players were <laughs> and how spoiled we are now with basically silence other than yeah. what's ever coming out of your speakers. And there's those are things that you wouldn't ever think about unless you were sitting there in person. So the fact that you've created this destination uh, is super important. And, uh, you know, I, I hope a lot of people follow your lead with this. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because one of the most popular exhibits here um, so far is the Pioneer Laser Active. So before they even get to play a game, the whole experience of a huge tray coming out with a laser disc on and that, and I let them take it out and pick it up and put it in into the tray. Um, they absolutely love that. Yeah. We haven't got anything VHS based out yet, uh, <laughs> but certainly laser disc. Um, 
and and also yeah preserving the experience is a wonderful thing not just for the people who walk in and get nostalgic about things that they haven't seen or used for 30 years but also a lot of them are bringing their kids now and there's a really nice contrast in one corner of the cave in particular you've got our mo- our newest pc which is running unreal tournament and next to that you've got a galaxian arcade cabinet from 1979 and the kids absolutely love both games equally because they understand Unreal Tournament because it's so familiar to the Fortnite and the other FPSs that they're playing in the modern day. And Galaxian is just so simple that they just get it and they've got a high score to look at and beat. So it's brilliant watching these 10 and 11 year olds switch between Unreal Tournament and Galaxian. Um, it really is opening the eyes of new generations as well as us old crusties too. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's something that really hit me as a kid because, you know, I, I've always loved all types of music and I don't really care when, you know, when it was new to me, it was new. I have no, yeah. no, you know, you know, bother when it was actually recorded. But I remember also being a teenager and, you know, seeing an old 70s Camaro pull up and it was somebody I knew had picked it up and, you know, another kid and I got in and it's just the power of that car. Obviously, you know, anybody that's a car guy knows that like there's, the stock those things weren't that great but you know this rebuilt one it, it just it blew me away and it was made a long time before i was born or even you know really got into cars and it, the year it was made made zero difference that was the experience that i wanted that was nuts and i loved it and i ended up buying one and it fell apart of course but you know it, it's it's just one of these things where it's not all about nostalgia it's just about the experience and you know showing people there is options and other things and uh, you know I think if anybody, I think now's a good time. You know, I don't, I never want to tell people to stop watching, but if you haven't watched that like 10 minute video that you did, that kind of walked everybody through the basics of what the cave is all about. Uh I really think people should do that because otherwise there's no way I could do the questions and, you know, the discussion justice without people seeing the work that you've put into and the displays that you've put up and all of that. So, so, you know, so I, I, I can't stand that, you know, before you watch this, watch my video about how to play a guitar <laughs> up here in the link. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a necessity because the, the level of detail that you guys have gone through and the displays that you've set up, you know, that's because for me, CRTs are a big deal. Obviously they're important yeah, to me. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, there's so much great work um, recreating the scanline masks going out and, you know, if you combine that with an OLED TV, you get a really amazing experience, but it's not the same. No. And some of the things that you could watch through a CRT just might not ever really be better on any other display. So it's very cool that you, you went down that road as well. Well, you say that, yeah. I mean, I, I'm determined to keep the CRTs here again for as long as possible because that is a really important part of the experience. But uh, it's tough. It's tough. You know, in two opening days that we've had so far, um you know we lost a crt that just started rolling and that had been recently serviced and recapped and everything as well so i'm constantly on the lookout for new ones to service and have just ready for when the next one goes pop um but so far so good yeah <laughs> apart from that one um a recent pickup so, was the uh the bang and olufsen bo vision one that we got um i'm sure you're familiar yeah. with that that's a beautiful screen and we've got that set up now with PlayStation with Time Crisis and the light gun uh, and people flock to that. They love that. So, um, yeah, that's very cool. Do you have any any kind of training or schooling or classes or whatever you want to call it that you would be offering out of there to do anything from how to recap a CRT to, you know, how to you know rebuild and restore your old computers and stuff like that? 
Yes, at the moment, we're very much at the stage of let's let's walk before we run. We've got this space. We've got it open. Let's just get people in. Um, but we are already thinking ahead to guest speakers and events like that. Um, uh, people like Richard, who is an incredibly talented electrical uh, electronics engineer here next to me, has already offered to do such courses. Yeah, yeah. I think we could do some arcade rest- restorations and PCBs, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, um, and also Richard's very talented with the um, 3D printing. We've got a 3D print farm here now, which is um, helping us to produce some products that we sell. And um, everyone everyone loves to see that when they come here. So um, we're, we're looking at doing sort of a 3D print 101 primer kind of class days and things like that. Um, yeah. And uh, there are so many facets to this well beyond my own um, abilities. So at the moment, I'm also trying to surround myself with uh, exceptional people who can do things like that. Um, we've got a chap called Rob who specializes in the CRT repairs. So he's working really hard to keep things going, but also he's now coming to some of the visitor days and doing live repairs. Um, admittedly, there was one that he did the other weekend where it was one monitor and he very skillfully made the repair last nine hours just <laughs> so that he could talk to absolutely everyone who came in. He wanted to ask him questions. Um, and, uh, Everyone's got questions about CRTs because um, everyone's so scared of CRTs. <laughs> everyone's so scared of opening them up. So he's a real attraction. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to... Sur- and, and the more I surround myself with people with these talents, the more of those kind of days that we can open up um, and offer to people. So, yeah, really good idea. Yeah, I'm very glad to hear that people are scared of working on CRTs because mm-hmm. it's one of those <laughs> things that once you understand what it is that you're doing, it's actually the same as working on every other piece of electronics. But until you get to that point where you understand discharging and you truly understand that there's always a chance of error, then that that's really that's when it becomes safe. Any other time that's yeah, I'm, I'm glad people fear it because I don't want any, anybody ending up in the hospital or something because... You know, the, the best example is when I was starting to get um, not, you know, not lax with it, but I was starting to get more comfortable. I discharged a 30, 32 inch tube. My friend Jose was over. I go to grab the anode cup and he goes, ah, 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 ah do it again. <laughs> and sure enough, I put the thing in again and there was still a charge left. Not enough to really zap me, but it would have scared the shit out of me. I'll yeah. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I yeah. have uh, a long time ago, I had my arm in, um, in an arcade that I was converting to be a main cabinet. And I just happened to have a pair of scissors in my other hand and I got zapped and those scissors hit the back wall of the kitchen and (laughs) and they went a distance. So uh, ever since then, I've been very, very careful. Yeah. Yeah. Rubber shoes, rubber gloves, all the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, You you only have to learn that lesson once you get zapped. It's way different than just touching open frame power supplies, which is... I mean, I, I had to have a rule in the lab when I had um, when I worked for another company that you know, no, you know, no open frame power supplies before 10 a.m. because I'd get <laughs> off a flight, you know, get get home at like 2 a.m., wake up, go to work the next morning, and be like, oh, so what's going on? Oh! <laughs> get stuck to it. Let it do the smell of burning flesh in the room for an hour, and it's like, nope, no open frames before everybody's awake. <laughs> So um, what is kind of the origin story of RMC? Um, you know, how did you just decide, I'm going to start making YouTube channels and kind of, you know, what's the, the roots of all of this? Um, the roots of it, it really comes back to burnout. <laughs> I'd worked in IT for about 20 years and um, I was pretty exhausted with it all. And I was looking for some inspiration to 
remind me why I got into it in the first place. And I looked to those old machines, like the, uh, the Amstrad CPC was my first one and the Amiga 500 was one that I was massively into. So I, I was looking back to them for inspiration to really rekindle um, what was a career at the time. Uh, and in doing so, I thought I'd share some videos on the topic just to um, see if anyone else was interested because I, I didn't have anyone in my group of friends who was in, into old computers like I was. So I thought, you know, put some videos out there, see who comments, see who I can get in touch with. And um, it kind of took off from there. So there was never any plan where I said, I'm going to become a YouTuber. I'm going to do this and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a cave and build a museum. <laughs> it's, it's happened very, very organically and without doubt, a lot of hard work, but also a lot of luck along the way. Um, a prime example is is how I met Richard here next to me, which was, uh, I came into work one day at a small office that I was renting um, a, a, just over a year ago. And there was a sign on the wall saying that a, a planning application had been put in to turn my office into uh, residential flats. So I was going to be out, out of an office very soon. So I made a video about that and then got an email out of the blue from Richard saying, by the way, we've got this space. And that's how I got chatting with him. So there, there have been some very fortunate twists and turns along the way. Um, but yeah, there's, there's been no great plan ever, Bob. It's um, yeah, a lot of good fortune and luck and hard work, I'd say. Yeah. That's a, that's a good story. It's good. I'm glad to hear that all kind of fell into place for you. The original plan was to rekindle that passion for IT. So yeah, if it had gone to plan, I'd be, um, you know, I'd be setting up Active Directory <laughs> servers and Exchange servers and all of that stuff. But um, uh, all of my certs have now expired. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that always cracks me up when you, you talk about getting into IT stuff. Whenever they they ask for college requirements, I just I immediately lose all respect for whoever it is that I'm talking to. It's like I am forty fucking years old. <laughs> do you really think what I did twenty years ago applies to anything that we do today, other than the base theory? Yeah. So it's always like every time I hear somebody you know talk about that and certifications, I'm like, okay, not this place is not for me. Then I'm going to move on to somebody that actually knows what they're talking about when they're trying to hire people. But yeah, it, yeah. it was pretty pretty funny to see that but now my the, my, the my certs skills, are so though. old they'll, they'll be the topic of a video soon i would have thought <laughs> <laughs> but the root skills don't really leave you so if you've if you had the ability to do all that and all you have to do is just learn a, a different way of going around the same concept it's very easy to jump back in the hardest part is just unlearning the shortcuts that you got that you mastered before on the other techniques you know yeah that's true and just process and procedure is probably more important than anything because you pick up the new technologies as you go along but um certainly in a help desk environment and service desk environment just the way you approach the work and the, the customer is um probably two-thirds of uh, of the job compared to the technology absolutely yeah yeah it was especially that way with product development too because my my whole life i've done both it and product development oddly very long story that ends and everything I do seems to be weird. And I love it by the way, but, <laughs> but the product development stuff, I mean, that's, you know, a bunch of nerds hanging out in a cave somewhere is a part of it. But another part of it is actually digging into the customer base and really seeing what it is they want and trying to figure out what they want before they even want it. And it's uh, everybody that I work with in retro, it's the same exact arguments, just, you know, in a, a slightly different technical environment, like, Hey, this is an amazing invention. This is going to change the game, but 
you need to add this to or you need to put it upside down or something and sometimes it's really hard to convince the devs to uh to, you know what direction to go in but when everybody works together it, it usually comes out yeah. really well sound familiar richard yeah, sounds like your day-to-day job yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's an interesting point no one no one ever really worries about all the things you unlearn when you learn during product development so you'd learn a programming language or use a microcontroller and you may never use that microcontroller again but all of that is still valuable information to move on to the next project and the next programming language or whatever else you do so it's a constant evolution i think um yeah, you mentioned about certificates running out and things like that. You still have that inherent knowledge of what mm. you were doing, why you were doing it, the background behind it, and product development. Those sort of cycles are very, very similar. Really, you just learn as you go. I think uh, on the job experience is so much more valuable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you know stuff like um, you know, the the Mister Case in IO board that that you all designed. You know mm-hmm. that that had to have been a combination of your own ingenuity and the ideas that you wanted to to put in and what you saw as what the customer base wanted, but they didn't have yet mixed with, of course, you know, all of the, the open source designs and platform as well. But um, how did you get started on that project? Like what was the catalyst? Uh, do you want to tell the, the story about that? Cause sure. I, I've been interested in wanting to talk to you about that for a while. Yeah. So that's the, the Mr. Moti system, which I would say was a coming together of some videos that I made a while back on the Mister, where I was taking the Mister and saying, "How can I turn this into to what I want?" Which is not just a system that lets me um, use all of this old hardware through the Mister project, but something that lets that lets me sit at a machine and feel like this is a machine that could have existed back in the day. And that's where I took something called a Checkmate case, a desktop case. Um, and uh, I did a project which I called Mr. Fusion, not to be confused with the, the wonderful Mr. Fusion <laughs> software uh, side of things. And uh, it took a CRT monitor, it took a desktop case, and it just made it look like an old school desktop computer with Mr. tucked away inside it. And I really enjoyed the experience of that. Um, and I hadn't met Richard at this point, but alongside, he'd been having the same thoughts, hadn't you, along, yeah. along the lines of um, consoles. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, for a long time we've been interested in doing a few more projects for the open source community and uh, I've been highly interested in retro technology my entire life uh, and it was that sort of combination of thinking that uh, some of these things need to evolve a little bit more or put forward a few more platforms that people can then use in a more friendlier fashion. Um, also, <laughs> we were just heading into the global sort of shutdown of everything and we were trying to think of what we could actually do with parts available um so Hmm. the project started off with very grand plans to use all sorts of different technologies and then quickly scaled back when we realized uh what was actually feasible to do now (laughs) you know that that was uh, a big part of the project but um we put a lot of things down and asked a lot of questions to the community and came up with something we think would be really useful uh, for people just to use as a one-stop all-in-one solution, really. Yeah, so what we came up with was this board, which um, gives you the console form factor for the Mister um, with with, uh, with the SCART port on there. Very important, Bob, the SCART port. <laughs> um, with, uh, so you plug your controllers into the front and everything else in the back, nothing out the sides. Uh, so that was sort of phase one um, of what we were creating. And then phase two was... Uh, we were never really sure if this was actually going to go on sale. We made a 3D printed case with which to present the board and say, well, this is what you can do with it. Um, 
And everyone went went so crazy for the case when it was shown on a YouTube video that suddenly we realized, oh, this is part and parcel of the product now then. The, the PCB is not the thing. It's the combination of the case and the PCB. So um, we've ended up in a situation now where we're, we're producing the board. Um, and it's still a 3D printed case. In our, we, we've built a 3D print farm here. And um, well, we've, we've been blown away by the success of it. We did 500 in the first batch, which went immediately. Second batch is all sold out now and we're shipping that. And um, we've ordered enough thankfully, uh, to be in stock as soon as that second batch is shipped. So there won't be any pre-orders again. We're just going to have tons and tons of stock. And we'll see how that goes, because obviously there's problems with the D10's availability. So we'll see. Maybe it will go quickly. Maybe it won't. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens when they go on sale. But um, yeah, that's the multi-system. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, so first, did, did either of you see that movie Apollo 13? Mm-hmm. It was like 20 years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that scene where NASA dumps the bucket of parts on the table and said, <laughs> this is what they have to work with. Let's yeah. do it. Those have been some of my favorite product development stories. It's kind of like that where it's my, one of my favorite things I designed is, was just a small form factor computer that worked off of all of the parts we had in our warehouse. So it was temperature efficient because I had to use the fans that we had. I had the only thing I could make was new metal shrouds. Like, and I was so proud of that. And everybody I showed was like, it's a fucking square box. (laughs) It's like, oh, but you don't know. You don't know what it took to do that. So I was wondering like what, you know, with the limitations of the world at the time, what was cut from that? What was changed? Um, is there a next revision coming? Uh, you know, from a, a hardware perspective, you know, kind of what's the backstory on that? Oh, it, it very much. We <laughs> we use a lot of um, connectors and these types of things in our other products. So some of these were parts that we already had in stock in reasonable volumes. The expansion connector, the CNR connector on the front here is a sort of a classic expansion slot you'd see on a, a PC motherboard. We did actually put that on a, a Linux-based PC motherboard for gaming. Um, and we just happened to have 1,600 on in stock. So <laughs> we, we thought, well, we're not using that for anything else. So that's going to be the expansion connector. It was originally, when I originally designed it and specced it out, it's going to have a PCI slot on the side, not as a PCI mm. slot, but actually just as an expansion in that form factor. But there was enough pins on the little CNR to enable that to use. And um, yeah, we use really high quality connectors. I'm sure you know, Bob, it's, it's one of the most expensive things on a board. You can put you know, two memory chips down and actually everyone goes crazy that you've got 128 megs of memory. Great, that's brilliant. But actually a lot of the expense is in all the connectors that go onto these sort of boards. So um, we only use, yeah, really high quality connectors as AMP and Molex and all that sort of thing. Um, but because we're already buying them in good volumes, um, we can get the prices down and, and keep keep the quality up, really. So that was the sort of pitch to Neil, really, that we wanted to do 100% UK build. So this is all sourced and then 100% built in the UK, manufactured, um, and actually ship them out from here globally. So, um, yeah, but you're right. It was very much a case of what parts do we have to buy and what parts can we use that we've already got and then how can we use the open source design and iterate that into something that we know we can manufacture. So it's not a single component on the opposite side of the board. That was something, you know, really wanted to make sure we had just a single sided design, the manufacturability, um, the the stack design has got components on both sides, surface mount through holes, that sort of thing. So we wanted to make it as manufacturable and as nice as possible. And then add to some quality of life, add additions in Mm -hmm. there and things like that. Um, uh, it, It was very much a, 
evolution over time, the more we learn about the community, the more we search for uh, what was happening with people's wishes. So, I mean, even the HDMI isolation switches, that was just because people were having CEC problems on the HDMI output from the D10. So it's like, well, we'll just put that in as an isolation switch. So there's all those little things. If you can pick out all different people's problems, you don't need to keep sticking in dongles and having extra cables and all that sort of thing. So it was very much a case of try and integrate as much as we can and jam it all on the board. Um, but yeah, it, what, what, what didn't make the cut was a lot of grander plans, I suppose. We, we were thinking we would add some extra functionality and that's coming with some of the cartridges that we're now doing. So we've got a little, this is a... Yeah, this is a, a Raspberry Pi cartridge, if you can get hold of a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, so you can do your MT32. Um, I run a barcode scanner off of mine, uh, whatever else you want to do with a Pi. But that's, that's just a cartridge in the style of a Commodore 64 cartridge is what you base the design on, isn't it? And you yeah. just slot that straight in and you're away. Um, so... Ease of use is really high on on what we're trying to do with this as well. Yeah, we're um, trying to lower those barriers so it's not. I mean, Mister is fairly straightforward to use anyway, but um, having it so once you've got it set up and you can just plug everything in, you're really then just just figuring out where you know what what uh, controllers to plug in and switching it on. So that was the intention really, is to try and give it a, a form factor that people felt comfortable with using. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Um, so. This board, the you know, it's essentially your version of the I.O. board, mm -hmm. and that has all the different connectors and everything on it, um, and it has RAM built in as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the RAM's so how built would... in, and it's also, <laughs> we actually made it, just, just to be on the safe side, a snap out, so you can actually snap it out if you really wanted to, so it's, it's, a, it's a RAM module, if you like, this just happens to be built into the board, and, and if there was any point in the future where you know, there was a, a an upgrade on that RAM or whatever else, you could just snap it out and put, put the other one in. So it was very much a, um, what we didn't want to do is constrain the, the design of the current stack system. And we didn't want to force people down routes that they couldn't upgrade in the future. So we tried to make it as modular as possible, but also as integrated. So it's sort of that trying to bridge that gap, really. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, so how would, how would it handle if any of the upcoming cores required dual RAM, would that just be something that's not supported then? Yeah, it was very much a discussion early on and um, we did show some concepts of how you could do the dual RAM, but really uh, I very much highly value the analog side of things. So the, the analog was always a big part of the, of the project, even though it's not sort of, mm. it's not even that uh, focused by the core team. The, 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 it tends to be sort of, um, and, you know, done as a sort of an afterthought, really, as the expansion. But it was also always something I really wanted to keep in there. So once you've got that, you're already dedicating the other connector, and you're using the snack port and everything else. So really, we just decided that 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 over overrode the need for having you know a more complicated cause if the PlayStation needed it, or if any of the Saturn and things in the future need it, then. Really, that's fine, but you're really only you're, you're looking at a sort of a more of an HDMI output anyway on that. So, because this can handle so many cores and so so many computer systems and consoles, we felt quite comfortable that actually as an analog-based system, um, it, it, it worked better like that really to allow people to experience more of that platform. Yeah, Richard did modify the board, which we we showed on a video a while back, to be uh, dual RAM. So. 
we did demonstrate it, but um, it also demonstrated what, what you lost in yeah. the process. Yeah, we depopulated um, a board and, and showed that you could stick on another right-angled RAM, one of our little um, snap-off modules on the other side. Um, but with all the other connectors gone, you, you lose quite hmm. a lot of functionality. So um, this is the point then, really, of why, why we were trying to do this. So I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, we feel a lot more comfortable that it's 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 being used by a lot of people in an analog world as well. So... Um, not just the HDMI. But feedback we've seen, you know, we understand that there are people who um, might be put off by that. Uh, the, the fact is the multi-system is just another option in the in the Mr. World. So we're just offering this. And if that works for you, brilliant. If not, then there are so many other options out there that we can point people to. You know, we're just happy to be part of that ecosystem now, yeah. Funny, I think that's exactly how I described it when I was talking about it on the weekly roundup. Of like, I, was I loved it. it. I, loved, <laughs> I loved everything about it. But if you're looking for a different option that fits your needs better, then awesome. That's the whole point of the exactly. Mr. Project is anybody yeah. could make their own version of it. Um, I, I also totally agree about the dual RAM thing. Uh, you can still get analog video through direct video. Mm. Um, you could even get JAMA. But the difference is you can't access any of the io ports i know for the record i'm telling everybody who's listening i know you two know that but (laughs) um you can't access the user io port which means no snack no mt32 none of that stuff um and while you could technically do dual output you're sending 1920 by 240 out of the Mm. hdmi output so totally fine for streaming uh but it doesn't it's not like the setups now where you could have 240p or 480p coming out analog and then whatever resolution you want coming out of HDMI. So if somebody's focus is those cores, which, you know, may or may not even need, you know, uh, PlayStation doesn't require dual RAM just to get a good experience out of it. Um, Saturn still no 100% guarantee either way. So it's really that use case isn't that big of a deal yet. Who knows? Maybe we'll see in two years what happens. But yeah. I think the most important thing I always try to impress upon people in the electronics world is just because something new comes out doesn't mean the thing that you were using suddenly sucks. It's just as awesome as it was yesterday. Now there's just another option that might not even apply to you. So I still love it. I still, you know, the Mr. Multisystem always looked cool. Um, unique case and uh, the modules for it were neat. So I think it absolutely has its place. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with what you've just said there. And um, we have got some more uh, add-ons in the pipeline at the moment. Are we allowed to talk about these? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we've had a sort of a jammer um, <laughs> expansion knocking around for some time, but that, that's, that's where it gets, it, it sort of borderlines that, that um, thing of if you're going to put this entire system in, a, in an arcade cabinet, you're actually better off using a dedicated jammer system. So that one we're still sort of debugging and, and figuring out the best form factor. And uh, we've got a um, thing called a slice, which we now put under the case, which may actually be better to use inside a cabinet. So then you just click this on the top and all of your jammer stuff stays inside the cabinet and you just put multi-system on. So there's a few things there. Uh, we got asked for S-Video and Composite. Yes, which... yeah. Um, a, a lot of requests from your side of the pond for S-Video and Composite. So we've made a, a cartridge which just slots in and then gives you those ports on the back. So we can cater to those people. Um, How did you handle composite video? Because uh, RGB you know, or RGB HV to S-Video 15 kilohertz is pretty straightforward and I've had excellent luck. But the composite video colors never quite line up right when doing the analog conversion. Yeah, we're still we're still experimenting. We've got a couple of analog devices parts. We are doing it as hardware. 
um, and experimenting with those. But yeah, you're right. It's 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 one of those things where it's a little bit of a compromise, but we wanted a dedicated hardware solution rather than trying to do things uh, with um, diverged cores or changes, anything like that. So we're trying to make it again, a plug and, a plug and play solution. So you can just plug it in and allow at least to get a composite or S-video out. But, uh, but yeah, there is, there's definitely going to be some some small compromise there. We have put quite quite a good bit of filtering in and it will be buffered. So you can actually use both that and the VGA or SCART port as well at the same time. So that's quite nice. That is a very yeah. important uh, feature. There is somebody working on adding native composite and S-video yeah. support mm, to the cores. Yeah. So that'll, that'll mm. certainly solve a lot of that. But... Um, but, you know, it's funny, the JAMA version that you, you're working on, is that still in progress or is that completed and just working out the last little bugs? Very much. It's more just down to how people want to um, to use it. So we're sort of exploring the best form factor for that, really. So we, we had it as a cartridge, which looked really ugly. <laughs> so the big JAMA out the back and um, and all of the connectors and everything. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be better as a, as a slice that you drop there. Yeah, it'll be, a, be kind of a dock that you put in your arcade cabinet so that when you're not using it, you can just take the console out and yeah. go away and play on it and then dock it back in the cabinet or on top of the cabinet or wherever you want to put that dock. So that's how we want to use it, yeah. Love it. That's a great idea because it's, you know, that's definitely a problem I have. And um, in that, like the, the mini Mr. Cade that I built, mm-hmm. uh, there was a few times where I was like, you know, I really should use this to test, but it's all mounted and screwed to the inside. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, I'll find another way to test, even yeah. if it takes twice as long. I, you know, everything was tucked so perfectly in there and I just, I don't want to mess with it. So I'll go drag the big arcade machine out and, you know, open the back of it and test there. So being able to just pop that out, I think that would be a very cool feature for people yeah. who, who wanted more than one use. And, you know, it's very, it's, it be, very quickly turns into how many uses you could you could find for this you know you have something like you have your mister tucked into your arcade machine and you're like oh it's perfect i'll never open it up again and somebody comes out with something new and you're like you know if i took that and put it over here for tonight i might be able to so there's always going to be a scenario where people want to unplug it and use it in a different spot yeah and you know uh, i i can give you another example of mister use which uh, is not on our roadmap i'm not this is not a product or anything but richard turned up half an hour ago uh, and pulled out of his bag. Uh, did you want to show this? Yeah, that, yeah, you, sure. that you made. He, he's yeah. just had a week off, so um, he, he, being the, um, the the inventor that he is, he went away and tinkered, and then he turned up with this, which um, we might have to describe for those who are on audio only. Yeah, so I've been teasing Neil for the last year or so um, with a, the idea of a portable uh, multi system and. Um, yeah, I sort of designed this back in August and got and finally got round to actually assembling it um, yesterday. <laughs> so, so yeah, this was a um, a, co- a concept really for the multi system, and uh, yeah, it does work. You turn it on, um, and you've basically got uh, everything in there. Uh, and you end so up with there you go. So it's a fully working. Um... Switch size, handheld, a little mister. bit fatter. Switch size, yeah. I would describe it, it as Atari Lynx size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, highly inspired by the Atari Lynx, so yeah, it's very much. Uh, so that's very cool. So, yeah. is that going to be on your roadmap of something that you'll be selling this yeah, year? We haven't even discussed it. Richard just turned up with it. So. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I would really like to. I'd like to do a, a, a proper job, but at the moment, this is off mostly off the shelf parts. It's a uh, highly stripped back D10 in here with a screen, 
battery pack, uh, charger, uh, speaker amplifiers, all that sort of thing. So everything is all modular. You could you could shrink the the size down by quite a bit, um, both um, thickness and the length. But um, but it all works. It's all got full controls, um, and you can sort of fire in and go to your Atari links and um, load up a core. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice it's a nice little um, it's a nice little uh, handheld, and I think you could you could definitely see. You know, there you go. There's packed yeah, land right pack there. <laughs> but <laughs> these are the sort of things I absolutely adore. Just just trying things out because you can you can experiment. And this was to actually test all sorts of different things. So this was to test the uh, passive heat cooling at the back. It's got a big plate of copper, which basically just uses. Um, that if you were going to make these, you'd probably make the back in a machined aluminium case, so you could then do all the heat sinking on the back, and maybe you still keep the front 3D printed. Um, see, I'm thinking about how to do it already, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just down to uh, whether or not it's feasible. At the moment, it's not because you can't get enough D10s to actually modify, and if you recreated it, uh, the price would start you know, really creeping up. I think you know this this wouldn't be quite as cheap as uh, the analog pocket, but you could get reasonably close with some with something around this sort of uh, this sort of form factor but again it's sort mm. of it's more about whether or not the community would want those sort of things uh you're saying you know it, it wouldn't take us very long at all to respin a board to do dual memory and get rid of all the other bits it wouldn't take us very long to do other form factors um but it's really down to you know whether or not the community wants that as a platform um or whether actually it makes more sense to put some effort into the next generation of Mister, and I think that's something we'd really like to explore at some point. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by the next generation of Mister? The next uh, like round of um, development hardware, or the next round of cores coming in? Uh, I'm I'm thinking more the development hardware. So where it sort of goes for the next generation, this this the current FPGA, the current cores, and everything else, um, great on the D10, but. Uh, they're always going to be restricted with IO. And one of my sort of personal passions is to try and get more real things connected to the MISTA. So um, floppy drives and interfaces and all that sort of thing, and actually go a bit more on the historical um, recreation sides, the preservation uh, on the hardware, and not just have everything as virtual systems or, or USB devices and actually get back to attaching some of the older type style devices. So you're going to always struggle with that with the D10 because it's really limited on the IO. Um, so that sort of begs the question of, well, if you did do something, what, what would, what, what would the community want? You know, would there be a processor you would put down? Would there be a FPGA? Um, would you break that down into modules? Um, I'd be quite keen to actually have, you know, dedicated graphics expansion engine that you could actually put down different FPGAs to do, uh, various gra- graphic engines over time. Um, then that gives the option to have a real cut down version if you just want to run one arcade machine. <laughs> See just one little thing and keep it all compatible with sort of the next generation of Mister. But um, this is very much where we would never propose and put that forward without consultancy with the community and wanting some sort of coming together. Yeah, I think it's, an it's almost an open invitation, isn't it? Yeah. We're very aware that the, the skills and the experience and the capacity here is here to help with that if people want us to. Hey, come say hi. Let, you know, come chat to us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'd like to do that with the community for sure. It's always a difficult thing yeah. to get moving because you know, how do you get some traction behind that without everyone just deciding they all want different things and then 
who pulls it all together into something that you could then say, okay, this is a open source platform that's been designed by the community. Who's going to build it? We're going to get some into the hands of developers, get some cores ported, see what else we can do, and then what hardware goes onto that. So that's that's quite a hard one to actually sort of kick off as a project for for a company or an individual or a group of individuals. Um, my my previous life uh, uh, for the last 10, 12 years now is involved with the RepRap 3D printing project. So I saw that right from the very early days of sort of trying to figure out how to squish plastic through a little nozzle all the way through to the desktop 3D printers we see today. So that was very much a community effort of um, uh, survival of the fittest. I, I very much believe in that in anything open source. So everything should be allowed to exist and everything should be allowed to be tried out. Um, it drives me nuts when people say that was never the vision of this project or that was that was not what we wanted or the core developers don't want that. It, it drives me nuts. I, I'd rather people just try and experiment and do things. And if the community doesn't want it, that's fine. Survive of the British, the best will, will prevail and the best will move forward. Um, and that doesn't need to be you know, from a single source or from a single platform, but it should be allowed to expand and evolve and sort of take on a life of its own. So the the best will prevail is not realistic. It's not historically how humans have ever worked ever. It's the most uh, charismatic liar is always the one that that prevails, not the best of anything. And that's I'm not trying to bum you out. It's just no, it's no, unfortunate. It's very good point. Pick up a history book, and, and that's what it is. And that's yeah, that's kind that's of the, the problem with going down a route like this. Isn't the hardware because I'm sure you're more than capable of designing the boards. And you know, if everybody in the community came around this and supported it then it would be cost effective it would work but that's kind of the thing is there's always going to be people you know if 99 percent of the people involved in the project are on board and happy and you know they're they're just normal good nerds that want to do this stuff and one percent gets pissed there's still now a group of people jealous because that that was their idea and you stole it you know as if as if a hundred people around the world haven't already thought of the same thing right mm -hmm. parallel thinking we're nerds right yeah. we're all <laughs> you know there's going to be groups of people that say well why should we pay you for an open source project well why would you pay Terrasic for the, for their development kit zero difference right there zero but you're gonna the emotional side of things is what is going to have to be the uphill battle, but I would get 100% behind that because for anybody listening that might not know, the pins on the FPGA chip, imagine Terminator 2, the, the liquid Terminator, right? This is both the perfect <laughs> and worst analogy I could ever come up with, but those pins on that FPGA chip allow it to adapt to anything you plug into it. But on the D10 Nano, because it's a development kit meant to do a million different things at a cheapest price possible, it only breaks a certain percentage of those pins out to those headers. And that's why we have problems like you could choose between dual RAM or the IO board. That's why you have problems where you can't just have a cartridge reader, you know, for, or, or even really a lot of other stuff like that. So yeah, it's, I would a hundred percent get behind a project and especially a modular one, because if you built the baseboard where you would have to just order whatever chip you chose, uh, you know, pre-soldered to the board, surrounded by connectors, mm -hmm. that's much lower of a risk for everybody. Much lower of a risk for you in design time and testing. You don't have to pre-order, you know, $300,000 worth of FPGA chips to make a small run. You could, you know, and at the same time that the project falls on its face, you could still adapt that to, to anything else you need. But I think the modular idea would definitely be it. Or, or maybe you do something like the modular idea is 
you know, sold just over cost, you know, just so people don't go down that whole, why are we paying you for Mr. It's open source? And then, you know, make your money off the IO boards. But that would have to be, that would be something that I would want everybody to understand how important something like that would be. I mean, it would change the hardware aspect of Mr. Completely while still keeping it totally open source and not stepping on any toes whatsoever. So yeah, I think yeah. I hope you stick with it. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's uh, I, I wasn't really even thinking about the, the sort of manufacturing side, of the, the design and getting over those hurdles of what the community would ideally like to see in a next generation platform for hardware preservation of console technology and, and computing technology is something that uh, would just be a really interesting conversation to have. And I think uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of mud flying around and all sorts of different people's ideas, but just having some way to sort of try and explore how that might look. And I think uh, that that's really all I would uh, say. And that's what I meant by survival of the fittest. It's, it's those ideas that get put on and enough people want them, enough people vote for them, enough people want to see it happen. Someone could then take that mantle and produce some prototypes and get them in the hands of people that can then actually physically use them, port some code and get, get moving that way. Cause Otherwise, I think unless something happens, like you can't buy the DE10 or the price goes through the roof, double the amount again, um, we'll just be in a position where then it becomes hard to source and then it becomes a more of a luxury device rather than something as a, as a platform that you can actually then uh, allow people to buy um, wherever they want you know, globally. So this isn't, very much, this isn't a selfish thing where we would look to design and make it. This is more of a almost a community you know what what would be really interesting to present as a you know a next generation technology that people would want to use Uh, the modular approach is really just something we've had 30 years of experience doing in gaming we're a bit of an odd company that no one knows about us but um, we've powered gaming systems and arcade machines and things for the last sort of 35 40 years uh, without even knowing really so we've developed some of them The, the most embedded up to PC-based platforms uh, that are out there. So it's quite a quite an interesting uh, technology for us. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And you know the whole the whole part about having to port code over. If you use the current chip that's on the DE10 and you set up the modules in a specific way, porting would be incredibly easy. And I don't mean incredibly easy for FPGA geniuses. I mean for anybody who understands the code at all, it would be it would be pretty simple. But then it begs the question of, so do you go ahead with this tremendous risk and research for the current chip? Do you look at the next gen chips and hope to, to get those when the price comes down? And that's an, that's an interesting conversation to have. And, uh, and that's I guess that's also, you know, even in regular hardware design, that's an important question to have. And I always tried to ground myself in realism. So I'm not holding a product launch to wait for something that might not matter. But I think with a, a community project that's forward looking like this, it's it's almost more important because you're right about the price, because for people that just want to start getting in, especially people that want to start developing and, and working on stuff to pay to pick up an older console and then get everything that you need to use it on modern displays or find a CRT and then console stops working so you got to recap it and then the power supply dies and then you know there's just so much that goes into it that you very often end up spending more than you would have on a mister mm-hmm. so for a lot of you know the preservation through playability or development for modern retro whatever it is the mister is an excellent choice as long as the price can stay down so 
availability, you know, all that, the quantity that are made in in order to get the price down. That's such an important part of it. So it's a very uphill battle that you'll, even just the concept of discussing it, it's going to be an uphill battle and I hope you succeed. I'll help any way I can. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, let's say just the conversation is important regardless of anything else. And if that conversation ends up stimulating five, 10, 20 projects that go off in different directions, that's great. You know, competition is wonderful uh, and and everyone will pick and choose the good bits and the bad bits and eventually it'll all come together to be whatever the next generation is whoever's doing it um and all of that good stuff but yeah. it all starts with a conversation so absolutely yeah, conversations prototypes and ideas it's the reason why we do this sort of thing it's just it's not to say that this is the next thing we're doing it's really just to say what's good bad you know what what, what people actually want to see in a in a platform like that so yeah just uh good to get those uh, prototypes out there and uh, get some conversations going. Yeah, the chip shortage for us as an electronics company, oh my God, it's just been an utter, <laughs> utter disaster for the last 24 months or so. So yeah, it, it's difficult to even think about, you know, what, what process you, you would use um, to, you know, to do half the side of it. And then the FPGA side, uh, we, we've got enormous experience with FPGAs going back 30 years, but um, even now, I would struggle to tell you which one you know you should be thinking about designing in because it's just uh, an absolute difficult time for anything like that. But uh, again, you're right. Worth having that conversation, um, even if it's just conceptual at this stage. But uh, yeah, some thought behind it um, so we don't end up in the, the sort of bottleneck, sort of uh, running out of technology or, or not being able to afford it. Yeah. Do you uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the the company that you've been working with that, that you have that that's been doing all this work, or would you rather keep that separate? No, we can talk about that. So the the, the company is Heber Electronics. Um, Richard is a your director there, aren't you? Yeah. And um, basically, the first three floors of this building is them, and then I'm in the loft in in the mill here. So yeah, we work together on a daily basis, but. Um, you're better positioned to tell them about the company than I am. Yeah, yeah. I won't put this into a sales pitch, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we've basically, we've been here for 40 years. We, we were here in the 70s and originally set up um, doing complete uh, gaming machines, uh, fruit machines, actually building on site. So we did one of the first control systems for electronic gaming machines. This was when they were all electromechanical. And this was so the first microcontrollers coming out um, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and then Heber sort of pivoted to design consultancy and did some work with um, appliance manufacturers, washing machines, tumble dryers, uh, for, from a design side. Um, and we accidentally got into manufacturing because we worked with one very big manufacturer and they said, can you make these for us? And we said, well, I don't know, no idea. Um, half a million boards later and a few years into that design. And yeah, we were a manufacturing company. So we've always been that ever since half design, half manufacturing. So we really like to do that. Went through the eighties, did all sorts of point of sale stuff, loads of terminals, loads of sort of embedded controls, you name it, seed sorting machines, um, electronic dartboards. We're on tomorrow's world. There's one of the famous programs here in the UK for technology and uh, all sorts of different things. So, but we've always been very much business to business. So no one really knows who we are, but we've developed some of the sort of electronics controls for all sorts of things. And then early 90s um, was a really big turning point again because we had a lot of UK suppliers that we used to deal with come to us and say they wanted um, game controllers for 
amusement machines and uh, skill with prizes machines. So these are sort of like uh, freak machines that spin reels, but also all sorts of different types of uh, entertainment machines. So they were all making their own hardware individually. And we sort of put forward an idea to amalgamate all of these different customers' designs into a single board um, based on 68340 processor. So quite an interesting sort of old design. This was, again, back in the early 90s. And back in the day then, um, Actel Antifuse FPGAs were available. They were literally just brand new. They were the latest thing. Um, 10,000 gates, which seemed like a lot back then, um, cost quite a fortune, but enabled you to shrink everything down into a tiny little board. So we used that part and basically made that as a signature part. So as a custom part for each customer. Uh, and that was really the, 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 the skill to turn one design into multiple designs everyone can use and not copy each other's code and all that sort of stuff. So again, it was a one single platform to get the prices down, but then signatured and, and uh, encrypted to be able to be used on lots of different platforms. Um, anyway, years went by, we've created all sorts of different systems, uh, loads of embedded systems using cold fire processors. Um, and still to this day, 23 years later, we're still making that 68340 based um, game <laughs> controller for all sorts of different arcade machines and amusement machines around the world. Including um, uh, claw grabbing machines. Including claw they? grabbing <laughs> machines, yeah. If, you, if you've ever used a claw machine anywhere in Europe, most of the US, um, anywhere in South America, most of Europe, Eastern European countries, uh, it'll have our board in. So it's quite quite an interesting. Well, one. there you have it, folks. If you uh, if your child suffered the peril of not being able to get the stuffed animal they wanted, you look right at that face right there, and there's your blame. So. I can't tell you how many times we've been asked if uh, if the games are rigged and all that sort of thing. The entire point with our platform is that it's got amazing amounts of regulation and and um, hoops to jump through for all of the global sort of. Uh, um, regulations that that, uh, that stop you from sort of just cheating at these games so it's a very very secure platform but we didn't write any of the code we just wrote the platform and the drivers <laughs> so yeah and i think it was a really interesting time sort of evolving those platforms through and using fpga technology there was at one point where we were basically building a, an embedded dreamcast so we we're using the sh4 processor and the power vr processor the graphics chip and that was really our first foray into um, an operating system, so we were using Windows CE, and before then it was all really bare metal, sort of 68,000-based code and drivers for doing everything. Um, and that taught us a huge amount, mainly how you can blow half a million quid and not sell anything. Um, it was a real bit of a, tra a difficult platform there. I loved the platform. The platform was amazing. It had expansion slots. It had loads of PCI expansion. It was basically a Dreamcast, you know, and, and we made some really good concept stuff. But it was a disaster from a uh, from an actual usability point of view. It was, you know, loads of power, loads of processing, and everything. So did, did it make it into a product? It did. It made it into a Bar X product. So the, one of those XO machines that spins around. So it was a video based Bar X. Oh, okay. Um, so it was a, it was an interesting sort of platform. But yeah, it told you why you didn't want to use an operating system. And then after that, sort of there was the. The really difficult years where XP Embedded was around. I don't know if you ever had any experience with XP Embedded, Bob. But... Oh, that was <laughs> oh, a giant chunk yeah. of my life. Yeah. I uh, I wrote um, custom embedded OSs for specific medical grade computers. Oh, so wow. I started okay. um, I started with seven, I believe. Oh, okay. And then 
uh, I mean, I'd been I'd been doing OS creation since you know, birth, pretty much. But uh, you know, specifically for the embedded stuff, was right when Seven was starting to come out. And then yeah. one of the customers said, "Hey, uh, would you be able to just do it in XP? Because we're having weird issues." I was like, "Sure. How hard could that be?" Oh, that was one of the stupidest <laughs> things I ever said in my life. It was completely different, totally different. But I figured it out. But the the Seven embedded platform was pretty decent. I actually found a bug in their code where in order to enable TV tuners, you had to enable a bunch of stuff that didn't actually connect. Um, so it was one of the, it was one of the cool moments where I, I did a whole, um, not press release. Like, what, what would you call like a, 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 just like a nerd document that I submitted <laughs> yeah. that they then circulated around to everybody who was using TV tuners with embedded for that. So it was cool. I'd, I'd found a couple of bugs over the years. Intel flew me out uh, a couple of years before that. Cause I found a bug and, uh, one of their new um, chipsets before it was released. And nice. My old boss used to always tell me, like, or tell everybody, if, if you think you have a solid product, give it to Bob. He'll break it. And <laughs> I always did. I don't know how. Sometimes it was just as easy. Like, oh, my favorite was a home automation thing. And they're like, this thing is solid. It's better than any remote. And I just walked up to it. And I went on, off, on. And the whole thing froze. I'm like, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Not so robust, is it, huh? Couldn't get past the power button. But yeah, so uh, that, that stuff, man, you just brought back a wave of memories of trying to just look at those XML files and just try to make sense of it. So, Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. This time of year always uh, reminds me of one of the biggest disasters we had with XP Embedded. It was uh, coming up to Easter and there's a big push for arcades and all sorts of new machines getting pushed out into piers and seaside places. Um, we had just shipped our first um, XP embedded build uh, on one of our new sort of embedded gaming platforms. Um, and unbeknown to us, it had the enhanced write filter set so you couldn't screw up the hard drive and all that sort of thing. So there was a combination there, but there was a, a few settings we didn't quite get right. So when daylight saving time kicked in, the machines were just resetting constantly. So they just turned on. Daylight saving said, oh, yeah, you need to reset. And then it just went on and on. So I was woken up on a Sunday morning, um, told that 10,000 machines were all oh, nice. resetting um, <laughs> and not, not being used. Um, and we, you know, this was deployed like almost a year before that. So they were working fine. So there was no reason. But try and figure out why, you know, why these machines suddenly stopped working. And it was all just damn daylight saving time in Windows and Windows enhanced write filter <laughs> on the XP embedded builds. So again, we learned a lot about XP embedded and then moved to embedded Linux for the next uh, four generations of products. Um, the other thing we learned a lot about was using embedded roadmap parts. So again, really important that you stick to things you can buy for a long time. So it's very alluring to buy like the latest processor cheap, but you can't buy it for more than six months. And that's a disaster when you're trying yeah. to build something for a long time. So we learned a lot about that and over the years, you know, all those sort of things. But the passion still is very much still into embedded real-time electronics. Um, so, yeah, that's my sales pitch, my rather long sales pitch. But, uh, yeah, we still love doing embedded electronics. And we do all sorts of different things from USB controllers to, uh, um, you mentioned Windows 7, actually. Windows 7 embedded It's one of my tiny bits of claim to fame. I'm actually in the Windows 7 embedded launch video. If you do a search on YouTube, you can find the Windows 7 Microsoft embedded uh i bet you i saw you then because yeah. <laughs> uh, the last time i was in the uk they flew me out to do a training seminar there for <laughs> when they first launched uh, the new the tools that you could use to build it and deploy it and stuff so i flew out for that and uh 
So I'm, I'm positive I watched some kind of launch video for it there. Oh, okay, and that's yeah. funny. I might have seen you right in it. Yeah, I think it cuts to London Bridge and then cuts to here, which is really bizarre because we're, we're hundreds of miles away from London. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just one of those things, associations. And uh, yeah, that was a really exciting time to work with them. We, we were embedded partners and Intel embedded partner and various things for quite some time during the 90s and the 2000s. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we were doing some of the first multi-touch systems for gaming machines that mm. needed multi-touch was quite fun so it was one of the embedded systems we need to make an episode to cover all of this on on the cave we need <laughs> history of heba yeah <laughs> and, maybe yeah, and, and it's kind of funny too because yeah. the stuff that you're talking about too that was my that was the the time period in which i was deep into the embedded systems too so mm-hmm. I, I wonder if our paths ever crossed because uh, that was like the mid to late 2000s touchscreen technology was just larger touchscreen technology was starting to just take off and we were building medical grade stuff, testing IR capacitive and resistive touch uh, technologies, which one would you know last okay. uh, in a hospital environment, yeah, flying yeah. out to all of those embedded conferences for Intel. And that was also the period of time where AMD was really just wiping the floor with Intel. Yeah. So they shook mm-hmm. up the whole company. They said, all right, we're, we're obviously falling behind. And everybody worked there. Everybody in, uh, that I talked to, at least, but completely different teams, all were excited. There were some layoffs then, but they were like, no, it's not like that. This is for the good. We're mixing things up. We're doing it better. And they did. They, they came back strong from that. So it's a, it was a really weird and interesting time to be a part of all of that. Plus cable card technology, the next big thing that got shut down, which, you know, that, that could have really taken off and been something global and awesome. But nope, people just, uh, you know, the people who owned Time Warner and all the big cable companies in the U.S. were like, no. Nope. That's the uh, people will only ever want to use a cable box. No one will ever want to use any kind of embedded device to watch TV. <laughs> How wrong they were. Yeah. So, well, kind of an interesting background. Uh, it's it, it's neat to see how all of the stuff in the cave kind of came together and how the history is rooted way deeper than than just the YouTube channel. Oh, it really is. Yeah, and and when Richard's not doing his proper job, he's in here with his head in the Galaxian cabinet <laughs> fixing that up for me. And helping to keep things going, so uh, I couldn't be in a better place to to home all of this technology and, and keep it going for sure. So now that you're here and you're in the cave, um, you know what's what's an average day like for for you, Neil? Like, you know, working on YouTube, cleaning up the cave, like you know. Yeah, well, well, people seem to get the impression that I kind of rock up, make a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, pick a system to play some games on, and then maybe get around to making a YouTube video. But it, I've seen you do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. It's uh, there are you know. I'm not complaining at all, but there are a lot of long hours in in doing this and hitting deadlines because you know as well as anyone uh, that you're a slave to the YouTube algorithm. Uh, you've got to keep feeding it. And um, I try to get a weekly release out on a, on a Thursday. So um, I tend to go from, if I can, I'll start a video on a Friday and I'll have it ready for the Thursday, usually rendering on the Thursday for release. There used to be a time when I had a buffer, but that was a long time ago. Um, so uh yeah get it out to my, i've got a little quality control group on discord who will watch it first and feedback anything um and then i'll get it released so it's very much a one-man show um in terms of the production at the moment um so i plan script um and film it myself and edit it myself uh, and then get it out um i, I can't see that changing anytime in the near future um but it has been with the opening of the cave 
it has pla- it's placed an extra demand on top of me because I'm now having to run an exhibition as well as the YouTube channel. So I am looking to get help on that side of things. Uh, I'm running the exhibition in terms of volunteers and somebody to um, drive uh, theme days and guest bookings and all of that stuff. It's just too much for one person on top of everything else I'm doing. So I'm hoping to separate that out soon and then I'll I'll claw a bit of time back and maybe I can build a buffer up again. But um, yeah, a typical week is a real scramble of planning, scripting, filming, um, swearing in editing when uh, when I'm out of focus or there's too much reflection on a CRT and having to go back and do it again. I mean, you must be really familiar with CRT reflections and trying to film the damn things. That, that's the yeah. bane of my life. <laughs> I just had uh, Jonathan from Scanline City, who's a director and you know an, an expert in cameras and stuff like that. He spent like an hour and a half on me the other day on me with me wow (laughs) (laughs) sorry jonathan (laughs) didn't mean to out you there buddy but uh yeah spent some time with me the other day going through because i had borrowed my friend destiny's camera a black magic with a canon prime lens that i got from somebody else and we were trying to tackle the moray pattern on on crts especially but i get them on all displays and it, it was funny experimenting the distance affected it mm-hmm. um if you rotate the camera the pattern rotates with it but it doesn't you know if you could rotate it to the point where you don't notice it's a pattern anymore and if your goal is just to get an image it's fine but if your goal is to get the mask of the crts to demonstrate how the image is drawn now you have a diagonal layer of crap in front of it that doesn't exist to your naked eyes. So it's yeah. like, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a nightmare. I haven't even come close to fixing it. And you know, there's always, sorry to be negative, but there's always some fucking know-it-all. It's like, I don't understand what you're doing. Just focus right past it and problem solved. <laughs> yeah. If you want to just show that there's an image on a CRT, yes, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm mm-hmm. trying to do analysis on how they work, the difference between the screens to get you a really good feel of, of how an image is drawn uh, mm-hmm. and it, that's it's impossible to do without some kind of moray pattern interference yeah and uh you know i wish it was just a money problem if somebody said you need half a million dollars worth of cameras cool i'll rent them for a week you know we'll, we'll all chip in i'll get all my friends who know what they're doing we'll bring all our crts we'll, we'll all shoot for a week but i don't think it's that i don't think it's a problem that you could just buy the solution for i think you have to find a very specific combination of things and I even considered getting like a giant piece of glass Mm. and just putting it between the CRT and the camera Mm -hmm. just to see what would happen. And that didn't do anything, (laughs) nothing. It was like, it wasn't even there. So, so much for that stupid idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm clearly not filming uh, to the same technical depth as you with these CRTs, but what I am trying to do is uh, use what I've got available to me here because when you're a YouTuber, you've got to try and set yourself apart somehow in your channel, give people reason to watch you. Why are you different to all those other channels? And one of the big things here is the fact that we've got the cave and we've got all of these CRTs. And as easy as it is to plug in and, and capture something and just show the capture, um, I, I do try and use the CRTs as much as possible and the space in the cave. And um, yeah, for me, it usually involves a, a great big black sheet, which I pin up and hang to stop all of the reflections behind me. And then just trial and error with, as you say, the distance, the zoom, the angle until um, you can get it in. Uh, I use a Panasonic um, Lumix uh, GH5, which has got synchro scan on. So you can get it quite tuned in with the synchro scan, whether, you know, drop it down for the 60 hertz or up for the, you know, when I'm at 50. And I can get it 
tuned in enough. Sometimes you can just see the beam, but it's enough for what I'm doing. Probably not for what you're doing. But we find the beam is the thing that, that bothers me the least. As long, if you could get it to the point where you see it every couple of seconds, yeah. you'll see the beam scan down. I, I actually kind of think that adds to the whole presentation of what you're showing. I guess, um, yeah. I'd like to get it. I'd like to make it disappear, but that is like 1% annoying. And the Moray pattern is 99% oh, yeah. of the yeah, annoyance. Way worse. If anything, the beam just proves that you're not overlaying a capture onto some footage of the screen. So that's fine. Yeah. Good point. What lens are you using with yours? Maybe uh, I've tried a whole bunch, but maybe I'll stumble across one someday. Oh, what lens? It's, it's, it's the one that came with it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Blasphemy! I couldn't tell I'll, you. Uh, I'll send you a link to the stuff that I use. Yes, that please. Was, uh, <laughs> massive, massive upgrade. I, mean, I remember I first got a, a Sony camera before I got this one, and I set it up, and I just remember thinking, "This is exactly like my iPhone. Why did I just spend all this money?" And I returned it to B and H, and I got the, the body only and a thirty-five millimeter equivalent lens. Same, same exact camera, just you know not even an expensive lens, just a not, you know, just a decent prime lens, plugged it in and went, oh, there we go. There we go. So yeah, I'll, I'll send you the links to the stuff I've had some very, very good luck with. But I mean, at the other end of the scale, um, when people come here, they ask me about YouTube and, and I always try not to put them off with the, you know, the cameras and the technology and, and things like that, because you, you can just start with a phone. Uh, when I started out, I had... Um, what was already an old camera at the time. It was a Sony NEX5. And hmm. I could do manual ISO or I could do manual focus, but I couldn't do both. If I, if I tried to change one, it switched the other to auto. And um, you just had to kind of work around the limitations. And it, it, you know, it kicked off the channel and it got me to where I am. Uh, far easier now with, with the latest iPhone or even a couple of generations old iPhone. You know, So um, if anyone is thinking of doing some YouTube videos don't be put off by thinking you haven't got the latest and greatest kit you really don't need it yeah i completely 100 percent agree with that i think you know it, that was one of the things i was always very proud of with my podcast and as the weeks went on and the years was that i never had the best looking or sounding one but if you compared it price wise to what something else that looked like it cost i was always coming in at half and I was always very proud of that, you know, figuring out, you know, to go with the prime lens because it's half the price, but, you know, it's the same quality as the more expensive ones, figuring out which of the cameras would work right, which of the microphones. And heck, some of my first interviews, I brought some microphones that I thought were an upgrade, and I always left my phone in the middle just in case, and the phone picked up the audio better than the microphones did. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you don't need to spend money to start doing anything, including video and pictures of CRTs. You could do that with your phone too, but just, yeah. you know, choose your goal. Is your pick, is your goal to show video and pictures of an awesome experience and share that with your friends? Amazing. Is your goal to do a comparison to explain why LCDs are far better than CRTs and here's all the proof you need? Yeah, you're going to need some equipment <laughs> sure, for that. Yeah. So, you know, just starting a YouTube thing, trying to figure yourself out. Absolutely. Anything. Your cell phone, a webcam, whatever you got. And that's all you need to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, um, there's so much to talk about. And, you know, this was kind of a first introduction video, you know, getting to know you a little more, getting to know the cave and, you know, the two major projects that you've been working on, you know, the Mr. and the cave, of course. 
Uh, and I would love to do more of these in the future. But before we go this time, is there anything we didn't touch upon that you'd like people to know about? Um, know, anything would, especially um, to the YouTube channel, I guess? Because we talked the least about your YouTube channel. Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind your opinion on a video that I'm working on right now. I need a, I need a good idea or bad idea response from you, if you don't mind. Bob. Can, you, can sure. you grab that for me? So this was delivered to me today. It's a prototype of uh, a modern monitor that's made to be kind of CRT-like. Yeah, Stevens, right? That's right. So, yep. good idea, bad idea, Bob. <laughs> uh, the video I have coming out tomorrow is basically the same, the same thing in that it's Greg's LCD CRT case. Okay. And I think oh. it's an awesome idea. And not only do I think it's a good idea, I want to hear how your opinion differs from mine and and everything else but awesome my opinions on those things are always the same in that if people understand what it is that they're buying they're incredible that is not a replacement for a crt period neither is greg's but greg has never once said it's a replacement for a crt greg's is hey do you want something that looks like one that you could easily rotate that kind of feels like it and it's got a high resolution and it's not that expensive and especially compared to CRTs, then yeah, it's an awesome solution. And that's exactly how I think about that one. The only thing is I don't think he's lag tested it yet and the time sleuth's out of stock. So if you have one, would you mind lag testing it for him? And I'll him have know? to talk to you about how to best do that. Yeah, but um, I'd be happy to do that. Um, it's still very much a prototype, um, but he is now getting to the point where he's thinking about launching a kickstarter so as you say clarity is everything so that's that's my goal i received it today i agree i think the the idea and the concept is absolutely sound uh but you have to be 100 percent clear with people especially if you're asking them to part with their cash for a kickstarter so i'm really looking this week to dive into it what can it do what can't it do um it's very modular so lag testing is going to be affected depending on what modules you've got plugged into this thing but i'd Mm. be really interested to have a conversation with you about the best techniques to do that for sure bob yeah yeah and i'll look out for your video uh, yeah yeah we'll uh we'll talk afterwards but if anybody wants a a quick short short version uh the time sleuth has been the easiest for retro by far and uh you know i'm sorry to plug myself but there was a video i did lag testing retro scalers that shows how to plug that into composite component s video vga how to build something to test those terrible hdmi console scalers that are out there so yeah that's uh if anybody wants a crash course that's it but i'll i'll make sure to get you info after this for your specific needs for that so perfect thank you well um you know let's uh i guess let's wrap this up but i definitely want to do it again uh, you know i certainly want to maybe the next time you do a fun video or we'll do a collab or something we'll jump on and talk about it afterwards because your youtube channel is great uh you know i've been following you for a while i saw you know and a lot of times you've covered stuff that I haven't gotten to yet. So I try to promote you on the website and, you know, as, uh, which I, I do with everybody, but I, I definitely like your channel and I'm sorry that that got pushed to the side with all the other projects that we've been talking about in this podcast. <laughs> no, not so, it is not something so. that, uh, yeah, I'll make sure to put everybody's links for, for everything, but you know, I just uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this. Hopefully we could continue to do more of these crossovers and, um, you know, next time I get out to the UK, without a doubt, I'm making a trip down to check out the cave. Oh, you'll be more than welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I've had a great time today. You know, talking to God up in the sky there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Bob. It's been great fun. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you much, both Bob. very much.